Hi, I'm Scott Hervey with Weintraub Tobin. And I'm Josh Escobedo with Weintraub Tobin. Welcome to another installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. So, Scott, are we talking about trademarks and satanic shoes today? We are talking about trademarks and satanic shoes today. That's right. Um, so just this past week, uh, Nike, I think it was last week, actually, Nike sued a um, custom shoe studio uh, in, based out of Brooklyn called Mischief. And um, this has to do with these the satanic shoes that were kind of being marketed by rapper Lil Nas X. Um, the, the satanic shoe uh, made by Mischief Product Studios, it's, it's an unauthorized customized version of Nike's Air Max 97. Um, the shoe itself, uh, I mean, if you look at it compared to the Air Max, you know, they did do some modifications, like they have a, a pentagram a, a medallion on the front laces, the inside of the shoe sole has a pentagram design. There's uh, some red uh, design elements, including uh, reference to Luke 1018. Uh, the undersole part or the like, cushion part is red as opposed to um, clear. And apparently there's a drop of human blood uh, somewhere in each of the 666 custom shoes that Mischief had manufactured and was uh, going to sell. Um, the shoes still had the, the Nike uh, swoosh uh, emblem, symbol, trademark, which is probably the biggest, the biggest factor in the, in the lawsuit. Right. And, and speaking of biggest, probably the biggest and most well-known trademark maybe in the world. Uh, I would agree with you. And that was one of the, you know, one of the key elements in Nike's claim, uh, at least under their uh, dilution claim, is that the swoosh was a and is a famous mark. And I really don't think anybody could argue with that. So, you know, Nike, Nike moved pretty swiftly and they came on with a really strong uh, trademark and tra uh, trademark lawsuit. They sued for uh, infringement as one would expect. They sued for false designation of origin and they even had a, um, a trademark dilution claim in there. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, Mischief claimed that by the time the suit was filed, they had already sold out of all of the shoes that were manufactured, all 666, that they weren't and didn't intend to manufacture anymore. Uh, you know, these shoes sold, I think they are, their original selling price was you know, uh, under $2,000. So pretty, pretty expensive for a pair of custom uh, shoes, but you know, sneakerheads pay a lot of money for, for custom shoes. As a matter of fact, I just looked this morning um, they're selling on eBay and Etsy right now, anywhere from eight grand to 20 grand. So wow. it's, 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 it's pretty amazing, but 
No, so so Nike moved pretty swiftly. They filed a um, they filed a motion for an injunction and a TRO. Um, at the hearing on the TRO, the court said that they were inclined to uh, incline the grant the uh, the TRO, and then in between that time and you know the the actual court's ruling, the parties settled. Um, I mean, it seemed like Nike was, you know, out for blood, so to speak, but um, not really. I mean, they didn't sue uh, Lil Nas X, uh, which was kind of surprising, but, uh, you know, Nike and Adidas both are very popular in the, um, you know, urban hip hop market, and that might not have been very good for their rep, so to speak. Uh, and... I think really they were just interested in, uh, I, I don't think that they could have let this one go, right? I think that this was a, um, you know, this was a case where they needed to protect their intellectual property. Um, the settlement was basically um, mischief. The shoe studio will ask customers who bought the shoes uh, to return the shoes for a refund. Obviously, those customers that have already received shoes and, and apparently not all shipped, um, but those that receive shoes, they don't have to return them. They can choose to keep them. And if you're a, a sneaker head and given that the fact that some of these shoes weren't shipped and will never be shipped, it probably makes them even that much more valuable that you know, there aren't that many of them floating around out there. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Scott. I mean, I'm not a full-blown sneakerhead, but I do like sneakers. And so I do know that when like a new Jordan's released, if they make a mistake and it's a factory error, those Jordans will actually sell for exponentially more than the pairs that would have gone out already. And, and as we all know, those shoes already sell for a pretty penny. So I imagine that given that this is such a limited production, I, I think some of the owners would be crazy to actually return it because they, yeah, could, no, they really I, want I to they just I mean, sell. From a, from a value perspective, it just makes a lot more sense for those sneakerheads that were lucky enough to get the shoes to hold on to them. You know, there are a couple of things about Nike's lawsuit that I want to talk about. And then um, a, um, a position that was being made by the, the defense um, is really interesting. And I want to talk about that last. But, you know, so Nike, of course, as one would expect, they brought a claim for trademark infringement. Uh, in their complaint, they included evidence that showed actual third party uh, or consumer confusion. They uh, in introduced in the complaint um, a number of social media posts saying, you know, how this they're appalled that Nike is issuing a shoe that is satanic or has satanic features, and that that they're appalled, that they're disgusted, and um, uh, they're never buying Nike again. They can't believe that Nike would do this. What a disgrace. It's pure evil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, pretty good showing of um, actual confusion, actual consumer confusion, which is, you know, one of the hallmarks of 
of um, establishing likelihood of confusion. If you can show actual confusion, you're, you're, you're almost all the way there. Uh, you know, the, the other elements, I mean, it's a shoe, it's got the Nike swoosh, um, you know, it's sold online. I think they, on their trademark infringement claim, uh, if, you anal if you do the analysis under the Lanham Act, under the, you know, multi-factor test, like Sleekcraft or AMF that is used to uh, analyze likelihood of confusion for goods and services, I think Nike, uh, Nike wins hands down. Uh, and you can tell I'm kind of leading into what the, uh, what Mischief's attorney presented as their theory for defense. But before we get there, I wanna talk about Nike's um, dilution claim, because that was a little interesting. You know, um, usually, uh, usually dilution claims involve the unauthorized use of another's trademark on products that don't compete with or have little connection with those of the trademark owner. Uh, so um, it's it's kind of strange that Nike included a dilution claim when the allegedly tarnishing or diluting goods or shoes and Nike sells primarily sells shoes. But you know, I think they were just kind of throwing the kitchen sink at mischief. And um, I don't think they really, you know, I don't think there was much discernment into the claims that they, they brought. I thought, you know, that was just an add on, just an add on claim. Um, and I don't, I don't know, push come to shove actually that it would have, um, that it would have been sustained. Uh, you know, the real interesting point of, of this little skirmish here was the position that Mischief's attorney was taking uh, in their defense. I mean, they never got around to filing a, an answer, uh, but there was a, a statement to the press made by Mischief's attorney um, they, they basically said that these shoes are not an infringing brand, but individually numbered works of art that were sold to collectors, released by a company that was trying to push the boundaries of today's culture through storytelling and performance art. The lawyer's statement continued that given the artistic expression that is at the core of the Satanic Shoes Project, Nike cannot prevail on its trademark claims. Uh, the First Amendment protects this expression and bars any relief on claims of trademark infringement or dilution. It's the Rogers v. Grimaldi test. Right, right. And that's exactly what I was thinking was that that, that is an interesting position. And I thought, hey, we're back to Rogers versus Grimaldi again. And the, the sad thing is, is, you know, I mean, I guess everyone else is better off with a settlement, but this seems like a situation that would have been ripe for the Supreme Court to review the Rogers versus Grimaldi situation, because as we know, they refused to take up the squeaky dog toy Jack Daniels case. But this here, I mean, when I look at this shoe, I think the same thing you do, Scott, about the infringement claim. I mean, it seems pretty clear cut. So I think the only way that you potentially see the defendant walk away from this without getting slammed with a substantial judgment would be if they bring Rogers versus Grimaldi in and prevail on that claim. But if they did that, I can assure you Nike would be appealing the matter. It obviously wouldn't get, it wouldn't have any 
relief at the ninth circuit, which is where I assume this would take place since Nike is based in Oregon. Actually, they filed it. They filed it in New York where oh, they did. Okay. Based, right. So, so in either event, right, your ninth circuit or second circuit, you're dealing with what Rogers v. Grimaldi. So, um, you know, the mischief might've prevailed, right. They just right. had the show like what above the, just above zero, right. Point right. zero, zero, zero one in artistic expression. Uh, so I think they win there. Then the matter is like, is there any express, um, express statement or express action of confusion, right. Any, um, and you know, then the question becomes is leaving the Nike swoosh on there, um, does that satisfy that element? Maybe not, right? Because that's the whole purpose of Rogers v. Grimaldi is, is balancing First Amendment expression uh, and using the mark of a third party in an artistic work. So, you know, if they took the Nike, if they took the swoosh off, then we wouldn't probably wouldn't have an issue, a case here, really. Um, so it would have been really interesting. It would have been really interesting because I guess the fundamental issue would have been are sneakers uh, works of artistic expression? Are they are they are they similar to a sculpture or a painting or a photograph? I think the answer is yes. And I'm sure you could have gotten a sneakerhead expert witness who would have been happy to get on the stand and talk about how sneakers are art. But I think clearly the answer is yes. I mean, they certainly sell for as much as some pieces of artwork, uh, maybe more. I mean, you know, and a lot of collectors, they put them in, in lucite boxes. They're, you know, they, I mean, they're, they're portrayed and displayed uh, at homes and in offices as if they were works of art. Uh, and clearly a lot, of, a lot of work on mischief's part went into this whole project. There's, there was a you know, an artistic purpose behind this. It wasn't just kind of half a half-baked thought. Um, it really would have been interesting to see what the Second Circuit would have done here. I agree with that. Unfortunately, I think the, uh, the economic disparity between Nike and a boutique custom shoe designer wouldn't permit that case to make it to, to even a summary judgment stage. <laughs> I don't know about that, Josh. Mischief had um, mischief had uh, a lawyer from Devil Voice in Plimpton, and that's you know no slouch of a law firm. So, uh, you know who knows? Uh, who knows where this might have ended up had Mischief decided not to settle? Yeah, that's a good point, Scott. Unfortunately, I guess we'll never find out. <laughs> we'll never know. Thanks, Josh. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of trademark infringement and satanic shoes. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and check out our blog at theiplawblog.com. <laughs>